0: Welcome to episode 40 of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability, the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, Eric Gall. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for joining today. Today, we have guest Dr. Jennifer Forrestal joining us on the podcast, and we focus in on mental health, and overall well-being. And Dr. Jen is a naturopathic doctor that focuses in this area. She's also created this great Uh, initiative, great project called the Umbrella Project. And I think you're going to be interested to learn about that and to learn about the components of it and how it's helping to improve mental health and well-being for kids and also for parents. And Dr. Jen and I also talk about really what A naturopathic doctor is. What are the benefits? What are the differences between a naturopathic doctor and a medicine doctor? Uh, We also get into talking talking about diets and common uh, diets and gluten and uh, going dairy free, egg free, uh, all that good stuff. We talk about sleep, and we also talk about common questions that uh, the doctor Jen is asked by families that come in to see her who have uh, a loved one with a developmental disability. So excited to bring you this podcast. Here's Dr. Jen. Hey, Dr. Jen Forrestal. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Eric.
0: My pleasure, my pleasure. So excited to chat with you today about a few different things and a project that I feel is super cool. And I know you're very passionate about. So that's the umbrella project. So we'll get into that in a little bit but maybe what we can start with Dr. Jen is maybe just sharing what a, a naturopathic doctor does and maybe also just help people or help us help me understand what the difference is between an MD a medical doctor and, a, and an ND a, a naturopathic doctor.
1: Sure, no problem. I give this explanation a lot, so I think I've got it pretty pretty down pat. <laughs> so, naturopathic doctors are primary care providers in Ontario, which means that we can provide medical care to a patient. Uh, Our training is the same as a medical doctor in the first two years of school. So we learn diagnostic skills, um, how to read x-rays, how to do blood work, all the different things that you would learn at the beginning of medical school as well. But where we branch off from the traditional medical doctor is we treat primarily with nutrition, supplements, lifestyle medicine, uh, acupuncture, more natural styles of treatment. So everything from getting people exercising, taking care of their stress levels, to eating better and taking the right supplements for what they need, uh, naturopathic medicine now, there is so much research on how some of those interventions can be amazingly effective for all sorts of different conditions. So. That is what a naturopath does.
0: Hmm. So, is it fair to say that a naturopath really tries to get to the cause of what could be going on with with a with a an individual, um, not just looking at the symptoms?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's one of our primary principles that we we work by. We spend a lot more time with patients than you would typically spend with your medical doctor, and we're really trying to get to the root of whatever is going on and. Um, improve that patient's health. So not giving them things that might, you know, alleviate one thing and cause another, but really trying to bring that patient closer to a state of optimal well-being.
0: Right. Right. Okay.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Awesome. And
1: not to say, sorry, not to say that medical doctors also don't want their patients to be in an optimal state of well-being. I'm sure they do, but that's sort of the, the main principle of naturopathic medicine.
0: Right. Right. And So uh, a medical doctor, how, I guess, I'm just curious, how is their practice different? Is it, do they start from a different place or can you help, just help me understand that a little bit?
1: Sure. Yeah. So what would be primarily different about those two practices is, first of all, what we use to treat a patient. So, um, you know, if I saw somebody with a skin condition, for example, I might be looking at what could be underlying that skin condition. Is it something related to how their gut's working? Maybe it's about their immune system and some kind of autoimmune condition. And then I'd be looking to try to address that versus taking a cream and putting it on the skin and and getting rid of that rash on the surface, but without getting rid of the the underlying problem. So that would be kind of a, a distinction that we'd commonly see in practice.
0: Okay, yeah, and that example helps to, to explain um, the difference in approach as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, if I was treating somebody with anxiety, we'd spend a lot of time trying to figure out the lifestyle things that would help with that patient's anxiety. So maybe we'd be working on a meditation program in addition to some supplements and some changes in the way that they're living their life that will help them really come out of that state of anxiety and address the underlying things rather than just giving a a medication to alleviate the symptom of anxiety.
0: How does someone go about finding a naturopathic doctor or maybe even more than that, finding the right naturopathic doctor for them? Because as you mentioned, everybody's unique and I'm sure each naturopathic doctor might offer something a little bit different.
1: Yeah, and that's actually a really a really good question and a challenge for some. So most people actually come to see a certain naturopath based on referrals from people around them. Uh, We also have a a board, the Ontario Association of Naturopathic Doctors, where you can go online and search all of the naturopaths in your area. Um, And they do have search criteria. So somebody who specializes in pediatrics versus digestive health. But a lot of times within a community, word just spreads about a a naturopath who's doing something. So in families um, with children who have mental health issues, for example, there's you know, that sort of a a community where information about a naturopath spreads. So even just asking people around you, you know, do you see a naturopath? What do they do? Do you like them? Right? Those kind of questions for the the people who are in similar situations to you is a great way to find a naturopath.
0: Okay, fantastic. And yeah, are there naturopaths, like you mentioned that um, you have some clients that have different types of um, disabilities. But are there naturopaths that specifically focus uh, with, on uh, clients that have developmental disabilities?
1: Um, in Ontario, I'm not aware of anybody who focuses very specifically on that. I'm just not sure that there's a big enough patient base to sustain a practice um for a naturopath specifically in that. Right. There are quite a few that do pediatrics and have, you know, a, a strong clientele in some of those different uh concerns. But I don't know of anyone that is specific just to that. Um certainly like myself and and a few other naturopaths that I know do quite a lot of that in their practice. Um but more if you looked at pediatrics, most most naturopaths who specialize in pediatrics would probably have some good experience in that area as well.
0: Okay, fantastic. Right, right. And a little bit earlier, you mentioned um, looking at uh, gut health. So Mm -hmm. often, uh, or quite frequently, I'm hearing from the disability community curiosity around uh, gluten-free, dairy-free diets. And there's been some research that's been done that's shown benefits to have, to being gluten-free and dairy-free for and people with ASD, so on the autism spectrum disorder. Would you mm-hmm. be able to, to talk a little bit to that and to help give some families some more information about it?
1: Sure. So um, one of the big things about naturopathic medicine as well is that it's all about individualized care. So there really isn't like a cookie cutter or cookbook approach to treating a patient. And that's what we're finding in the research with um, diet and some of these developmental challenges that families may experience. So um, a certain percentage of the population does respond quite well to a gluten and dairy-free diet. Um, not everyone though. So certainly it's something that for the the amount of effort that it takes to do a couple weeks on that diet, it's certainly worth ruling out whether that's, that's an obstacle for your child. Now, eggs come up a lot too. There are other food um, allergens that I often work through with families. Um, but knowing that it's, uh, it's not something you have to commit to for a lifetime to see whether that's going to work or not. You know, the first step is just literally taking even a week or two to see how your child responds to a diet like that is enough to start to see those changes and whether it works for you. So in terms of research, it's still pretty, um, uh, inconclusive in terms of a yes or no answer. Um, it's more patient by patient and certainly i see some amazing changes in in my patients who are sensitive to to those foods or others
0: mm mm-hmm. yeah and you're absolutely right in terms of we're all unique individuals and it's a case, <laughs> yes, by, case, we are. case by case basis um And I've also heard from families like, oh man, this, it's a great idea, but it just seems so overwhelming. So I like your suggestion of just try it for a week or two weeks and look at what the, if there's any noticeable, noticeable changes. Um, yeah,
1: for sure. And you may not see the full amount of change that you're going to get from a diet like that in the first week or two, but It's easy to see, for example, the patient's gut response. So, a lot of um, patients that I see who have a range of different challenges, you know, maybe they're on the autism spectrum or they have cerebral palsy, or there's, but a lot of them have gut symptom as well. So, that's a really quick way to test how something's working, right? So, you may not be seeing a change in your primary concern, but you might see improved sleep quality, better focus, better energy. Better gut health, right? Better digestion. Some of those changes are indicative that that intervention that you're doing down the road will have impact on on the whole patient.
0: Right, right, yeah. And it seems a lot less over a lot less overwhelming. Just okay, try this for a week, right? Versus
1: exactly something I need to yeah. commit
0: to for six months to see any any changes. So exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, so with with your clients. Dr. Jen, um, that might have a either a developmental disability themselves or a son or a daughter with developmental disabilities. Um, is there common questions that that they come in to see you with and, and and ask you about?
1: There's a combination, I would say one of the one of the biggest pieces that I that I see is that parents get very very tired and burnt out in these situations. So a lot of times. It will be um, a parent bringing a child in and the, the focus actually ends up on the parent and how they can better um, manage the stress and get some better balance in their life. Because from that, without even doing anything for the child, the whole family's well-being tends to improve, right? I'm sure you see that all the time too, right? If the mm-hmm. parents are healthy, then it seems to trickle down <laughs> a little better, so even without addressing the child at all, a lot of times I'm seeing parents just for stress and burnout. Um, and then when it comes to kids, it's it's really all over the place. Sleep is a big piece of that. And that contributes so much to a family's well-being, right? If one, one person isn't sleeping, then the whole family kind of suffers that, that um, specific challenge. Digestive health... Um, behavior concerns those are some of the big things that parents would come in for initially to see me
0: yeah uh, no and i like how you turn it back to the parents and 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 you're exactly right because um often the main supporter of uh, of a child with a developmental disability is their parents and if their parents not taking care of themselves and they get sick then they can't provide that support anymore
1: exactly uh, and I don't even think parents realize how critical that piece is, right? It's like if I can just get to one more physio appointment and one more specialist and, and cook this special meal and do this, and right, for this child, that will help them thrive the most in life is sort of how parents come into it, right? Without realizing that the primary relationship with them trumps every single one of those things. Um, and if the parent is really stressed, that just trickles down onto everybody. And, and so taking care of themselves actually makes the biggest impact on the whole family.
0: Mm -hmm. So we talked a bit about gut health, which you mentioned, um, again, and one of the other things that you mentioned was sleep and sleep being a big component to, to our wellness. Do you have any tips or insights around sleep, to make to that people can think about to make sure to either improve their sleep or to um to make sure that they're getting the sleep that they need,
1: yeah, so um when it comes to sleep, and it's funny because I'm not a huge routine person, I don't promote extremes of routine because i I think kids' brains need to be able to flex into uncertainty and they need to practice that skill in order to be good at situations that are new and that they've never seen before. So I'm not I'm not somebody who promotes routine in all areas of life. But I do certainly think when it comes to sleep, predictable routines are so helpful. The brain actually starts to shut down into sleep before you even go to sleep if you put in place a really predictable routine. So that's, you know, good sleep hygiene is is a must when it comes to sleep. And then often we're looking at sort of the neurotransmitter profile of that particular person's brain. Do they have an issue with melatonin or serotonin or GABA or what, you know, how, what kind of symptoms do they have? What's their sleep like? And how is there something that we can do to feed the right part of their brain in order to help them sleep uh, more deeply and more calmly? So things like that. Um, And then there's all sorts of, you know, even meditations that promote sleep before bed that are designed t- for the brain that does not want to settle down and go to sleep, which I would see probably more with parents <laughs> than with than with kids, um especially when when days are super busy as they are with a a child who might have some developmental um challenges so all sorts of different things um again, case by case, but there's some very specific interventions too,
0: yeah, awesome. Okay, mm-hmm. well, so that gives some parents, parents, and, and listeners, a, a some good ideas that they can either try out for themselves or, or do some more research on. Yeah, um, let's switch gears into the Umbrella Project, which I mentioned a little bit earlier uh, when uh, you came on the when we first came onto the podcast. Ken, I'm just going to hand the mic over to you, and, and if you can just tell us about the Umbrella Project and, and what you're working on.
1: Sure. So the Umbrella Project is um, a paradigm that I've built to help people understand the world of coping, positive psychology, um, and all of the skills that we use to have better well-being. So what we know from the research is that all of the skills that we talk about and teach to kids all kind of work the same way. So things like self-compassion, growth mindset mindfulness, empathy, purpose, all these things have the same research outcomes at the end of the day. They all help us cope with adversity, challenges. They help us take on life and really um, thrive no matter what is happening to us. So I I call it the umbrella project because I like to think about life or the stresses of life kind of like rain. They're inevitable. We try really hard to avoid them, but we're not going to, right? And none of our children are going to avoid stress in life, it's better for us to think about how we can prepare for those days than it is to try to eliminate those days from our lives. So we take the stress and the challenges of life, and we use it as a tool to teach children and parents how to navigate that and how to build the skills. You need challenges in order to build these skills. So we we reframe it in their minds like that. And we use these challenges to build coping skills, um, which we call umbrella skills. So in that uh, we've built a curriculum for schools, or I I have, I suppose, um, that runs in a bunch of Ontario schools. We do parenting tips on each skill uh, month by month so that parents can follow along and start to reflect on some of these skills and, you know, where their kids might be strong and where they might need a little more um, practice. And yeah, so that's the Umbrella Project.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you take those challenges and reframe them as, okay, no, we need these challenges to be able to grow and develop and improve our well-being. That's I love that uh, that mindset.
1: Exactly. Well, much like we would never take a child and just put a calculus equation in front of them and say go for it, right? we likewise can't just take these huge challenges and drop them on kids and expect them to know what to do. They need all these little small challenges along the way that teach them resilience and self-compassion and, you know, all of the skills that they will need as the challenges get bigger and bigger in life.
0: Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, would we be able to pick one of those things like resilience um, or purpose and, and talk through that a little bit deeper? I'm, I'm curious how, you are teaching the skill of resiliency for example to to kids and to to parents i'm also curious is there a difference between how you teach it to kids and parents or is it the same same methodology
1: uh yeah no problem so in schools um when we the curriculum specifically that we run teaches kids first of all like the language what is the skill Uh, one of the teachers that was running the Umbrella Project recently told me that they ran the unit on grit in her class. And afterwards, one of her students came up to her and said, you know, last year when I broke my ankle and I couldn't play on the team that I wanted to, my soccer team, and I had to do all this rehab and it was really hard, I used a lot of grit, didn't I? So just by languaging and teaching kids what these skills are, they can see themselves using it and they're more likely to use it again, right? So that girl's story in a second went from one of uh, I was a victim of this injury that happened to me to wait a second actually I was pretty tough wasn't I I really worked hard to recover from that so you can see even just by teaching kids what the skills are it gives them a tool belt of things to choose from when they face adversity And then from there, we show them what the outcomes are of having those skills. So we teach them about the research. Kids are amazing at absorbing um, information. So we teach them why they might want to have these skills. And then we help them go into the world and see examples of people using the skills. So we know that, for example, when you watch somebody be resilient, it makes you more resilient yourself. And so we get kids to go out and find all sorts of stories of people using each of these skills and bring them back and share them in their class so that they can see um, that skill in action. So we're not even telling them you need to have more of this and more of this. We're just saying, you know what, go into the world and see how people are actually overcoming adversity. Because if you really look, you can pick out these skills. This is how people are overcoming it. It's not chance. It's not, you know, a fluke. They're actually using skills and these are skills you can have. So that's how we teach it in the classroom, um, is we just get kids going out and finding it. And then we have little activities to to build some of the skills and reflect on them um, that way. And then when it comes to parents, uh, we're usually talking more about specific parenting styles that they can use to build each of these skills. So the first one being a big reframe in the stress of a child facing adversity, right? So Understanding that nothing has gone wrong and nothing is bad when somebody is mean to your child, for example, right? People are mean in life and it's a really critical skill to learn how to deal with somebody who's having a bad day or who doesn't have good coping skills, right? Instead of getting angry and trying to push that back, what skills can you use to overcome that challenge? So we teach parents first how to recognize these as not bad, but actually valuable things happening to their child and then how to coach them through that and how to recognize you know what skills they might be able to to layer on for their child in those situations
0: yeah awesome so for for folks listening to the podcast if they are interested in learning more about the umbrella project and maybe bringing it into their school or they're a parent and they want to to learn more or be a part of it how do they do that?
1: So we have a website that's probably the best place to start. It's umbrellaproject.co.co. And from there, you can read about the curriculum. You can follow the parenting newsletter or connect to Facebook where we put um, regular information about each skill. Um, And so that's probably the best way from there. You can also get in touch with me. And I'm happy to always jump on the phone and provide more information for people who are interested in bringing this into their home or their school or you know, for working with their family.
0: If folks do want to get in touch with you to learn more about um, the project you gave them, the website, but if they want to, to reach out to you for a conversation, what would be the best way to do that?
1: Uh, email is, is the best way to get a hold of me for sure. My email is doctor Jen, so d-r-j-e-n at umbrellaproject.co.
0: Perfect. And I will link to all of those things in the blog as well. So people can easily access those. So Dr. Jen, pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thanks so much. And we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks for having me, Eric.
0: A big, big thank you goes out to Dr. Jen. And just thank you so much for sharing the answers or more information around those common questions that many in the disability community have. Uh, around specific types of diets. So, you know, should I go gluten-free, dairy-free, uh, and whatnot? And for answering common questions that families that uh, have a loved one with a developmental disability uh, may have. So I think that was some great information to to share and also how to start to find a naturopathic doctor. And uh, Dr. Jen, I love the Umbrella Project. Keep on doing great work there. Families, if you're interested in learning more, please head over to Dr. Jen's website, which uh, all the information is included in the blog and uh, it was included earlier on the podcast. Uh, Next week on the podcast, we are sharing a rebroadcast from episode six with Kenan Weller and Al Condolucci. Next week's podcast is going to focus in on the uh, four-stage framework for building social capital, building, or in in layman's terms, building relationships that Al has has put together for us and shares in that podcast. So Uh, a very important, very uh, useful uh, framework that you can use to help Uh, a loved one with a developmental disability to build relationships. So uh, I'm going to reshare that and some more and some great information in there. If you've already heard it, it's worth a re-listen. If it's new to you, make sure to tune in. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Uh, If you like this episode and you think you know someone that would benefit, please share it with them. Uh, Be a part of the change to think differently about disability. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your
1: loved ones impacted by disability through the full and meaningful life.